Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that even as everything around us and maybe even within us is a tumultuous storm, that your word is our rock and our anchor that we can cling to, even as the waves of life and cares and worries and fears crash against it. Lord, we thank you that it will never fail. It will never waver. We will never lose it. Your love is unfailing. Your mercies are new every morning. There may be crying in the night, but there will be joy in the morning. Lord, we thank you for that promise that we find in your word. We thank you for everything that is in your word. We thank you for your instruction that convicts us. We thank you for your teaching that enlightens us. We thank you for your comforting words that give us peace. And so, Lord, I pray that the, the power and the livingness of your word would go forth and do something within us, change our lives. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting to look at different things and see how once commonly held beliefs that were just accepted as bold-faced truth are now being brought into question. For instance... It's a very common belief, and I bet if I asked everybody to raise their hands who thinks this, everybody would raise their hand. It's a very common belief among most people that vestigial organs serve no purpose in the human body and thus can be removed with no ramifications to the function of that body. For, exa for an example of a vestigial organ, you might say, I don't know that word. The appendix is a, has always been thought to be a vestigial organ, something that is not needed, something that no longer serves a purpose, and can just be ripped out all willy-nilly. The appendix has long been accepted and assumed to no longer... Sorry. There we go. All right. Serve a purpose in the human body. The appendix has long been accepted and assumed to no longer serve a purpose in the human body. Do you know where that theory originally, originally came from? Because we all think it, we all believe it, it's a commonly held belief. Where did that, original, that theory originally come from? A man named Charles Darwin. He theorized that at one point in human evolution, the appendix helped to digest a heavily leafy diet, but since humans no longer eat a primarily tough, leafy diet, the appendix shriveled up from lack of use, thus rendering it useless. And so for centuries, we've just accepted that theory as truth. However, even evolutionary scientists have been revisiting that theory now, that the appendix is useless to the modern human body, albeit in an attempt to back up naturalistic evolution. One famous new medical theory has been proposed by evolutionary surgeon Dr. William Parker, who after undergoing several scientific experiments, says that the appendix does indeed have an important function in the human body. What do you know? 
Scientific evidence is quickly catching up with the understanding of the importance of the growth and preservation of good bacteria in the human gut or intestinal tracts. Scientific um, uh, evidence is quickly catching up with that. Good bacteria in the gut help digest food, help the body absorb its nutrients properly, and very importantly, play a vital role in the immune system of the human body. So when the majority of good bacteria in the gut are killed, and the gut is overrun by bad bacteria, what inevitably happens? Many illnesses and medical conditions arise out of that. Scientific evidence is quickly catching up to proving that. What does this have to do with the so-called vestigial appendix? Parker's new medical theory, which has only really existed for the past seven years, says that the appendix serves a crucial role in preserving the good bacteria in the gut. When the gut temporarily gets overrun by bad bacteria, thus threatening to plunge that person into a terrible illness or condition that they wouldn't otherwise have, the appendix serves as a safe house for the good bacteria to find refuge in until the body can bring down the level of that bad bacteria to a manageable level for the good bacteria to go back and start healing the body. Almighty God created the human body. Instead of backing up naturalistic evolution, what that says to creationists is that the infinitely wise creator of the universe did not make a mistake. In fact, as one creation science article says, all 180 so-called vestigial organs labeled that way by naturalistic evolutionists have been proven by science to still play vital roles in the modern human body. Isn't that incredible? Almighty God, and this is what I'm getting at, Almighty God created every single member of the human body to play a crucial role in the healthy functioning of that body. Nothing is useless. Nothing is purposeless. Nothing is vestigial. Seeing as, that's, as it's the exact same source, the exact same God created the body of Christ in the exact same way. It's no surprise. He's the same God. It's the same source. Every single member of the body of Christ or the church has a crucial role, a crucial role to the healthy functioning and growth of that body. So the first point that we come to in our passage this morning is the review. I just want to touch on this a little bit before we get into our passage. What evolutionary biologists had done for centuries to what they labeled as vestigial and therefore no longer useful to the body, organs, many in the Corinthian church, and sadly many in churches today, do the exact same thing to fellow members of the body of Christ. These fellow members of Christ's body were looked down upon and seen as useless to the function of the body. 
Last week we looked at how Paul directed his instruction towards those who were either being told they were useless or were ineligible or weren't good enough or gifted enough to serve the church and play a crucial role in its function and growth. Or they came to those conclusions themselves. They didn't need anybody to tell them that. They came to those conclusions themselves. So these church members, what that resulted in, what ends up being the case today in churches, is that these members weren't doing anything. They weren't doing anything to serve the church. They were told they weren't good enough. They were told they were useless. They were told they, their gifts weren't good enough or they weren't using them well enough. And so they weren't doing anything. Last week we talked about how even if you think you don't have a function or a job to do to help our church function and grow, or you don't think you're gifted enough or good enough, guess what? That's simply not true. That's simply not true. And as a result of that, it's therefore not an excuse. It's not true, so then it's not an excuse. We saw from Scripture that God is the one who designed the church to function the way He wants it to. We saw from Scripture that it's the Father's will that makes any change or does anything in anyone's heart, that it's the Son who gives each of us the individual missions to serve Him, and it's the Holy Spirit who gives each of us the spiritual gifts He decides would be most beneficial to accomplishing those Jesus-given individual missions. They all work together as one. And as God is God, and since He's the one determining missions and giving out gifts, He makes all of our individual missions work together as one. And thus the church continues to function healthily and grow even more. You've heard me say this before, but while these are good ways to meet people in our community and develop connections, and they are, but the same few people organizing events in our church are not what will grow our church. The same few people that organize the events for our church are not what will grow our church. They have a place, they have a part to play, important parts, but they are not the main way of growth. So what is it? Exactly what we just referred to in God's Word. Every member of the body doing what God has given us and gifted us to do. That's it, right there. It's very simple. Every single one of us doing the individual jobs God has given to us and not being content with the same few people doing everything. If you remember from last week, I asked the question, so, what is it? You might have thought you escaped that last week. No. What is it? What is the mission that Jesus has given to you? And what are the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to you to do that mission that Jesus has given to you? What is it? What is the mission Jesus has given you to do to serve our church? And how has the Holy Spirit gifted you in order to do it? And if you remember from last week, I said that I would not accept the response, eh, I don't know. I have no clue. 
I said, if you don't know, that's okay. But it's not okay to stay there. Investigate it. Explore it in prayer. Talk it over with a believing friend. In other words, if you don't know, that's okay. But if you don't know, with the help of God, figure it out. Don't just stay there in that limbo of just not knowing and therefore not doing anything. Figure it out. It's very simple. We don't need to turn it into some big pie in the sky, deep theological thing. With the help of God, figure it out. And then once you figured it out, do it. Figure it out and then do it. It's there. Okay? And you don't have to dig very deep to find it. It's there. I promise you that. It is there because we read last week that God positions every member in the body of Christ or the church. It's up to Him. He's the one who fits each of us together and puts us in the place and role that He wants us to be in. Not one of us is floating outside of that, not being tethered to the rest of the body and not thinking we don't have to do anything or be anything. If we are going to function properly and healthily and grow, every single one of us has to be doing what God has given and gifted us to do. I'll let you in on a little secret. It's not the pastor's job to grow the church. (laughs) It's not the pastor's job. That's not biblical. That's not scriptural. Whose job is it? Every single one of you who are sitting here or who will watch or listen to this later. If we're going to function properly and healthily and grow, every single one of us has to be doing what God has given and gifted us to do. It's very simple. It requires some thought. It requires some humility. It requires some sacrifice. But if we want to see our church continue to function well and continue to grow, from God's Word, this is what needs to be done. This is what needs to happen. And from last week and what we're going to read this week, you'll see... I'm not pulling that out of nowhere and I'm not making that up. It's straight out of God's word. This is what needs to happen. Now, Paul turns to those doing the looking down on others. In this section this morning, he uses a similar illustration as we looked at at last week. But this time, telling fellow members they don't have a purpose is still as absurd as one body part telling another body part that it's vestigial, that it's unnecessary, that it's purposeless, to the human body. So that we get, that's what we get to next, the, the ridiculous view. What's just as absurd as what we talked about last week. Paul starts out this next emphasis in his illustration of the human body with uh, chapter 12, verses 19 through 20. If you brought your Bible with you today, please open it and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you didn't bring it with you, that's fine. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to pick up in verse 19. Verses 19 through 20. These are, this is what our scripture reading was. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. 
Again, as we touched on last week, this flashes out a little bit more what Paul had already introduced in his thesis statement in verse 12 that summarizes everything else he'll talk about in the rest of chapter 12. Just as the human body is not just one type of member, how funny would it look if we were all just a bunch of giant ears or eyes walking around, bumping into each other? How funny would that look? But we're made up of all different members that all serve different functions. The human body is not just a bunch of different members all pulling the body in a bunch of different directions. Instead, the human body is made up of many, many different members. And they're all, they're all different, and they all have different functions, but they all work together as one. Could you imagine if all the different members of your body were doing different things and going off in different directions? You wouldn't last more than a minute. They all work together as one. The circulatory system does not act in, in a way that's opposing the nervous system or the respiratory system. Even though they all do different things, they all work together as one to keep the body healthy, healing itself, and growing. Here's the absurdity of what many in the Corinthian church were doing, presumably in connection with different spiritual gifts. They were comparing the so-called non-miraculous gifts, like understanding and applying scripture and administration, keeping things in order, encouraging people, serving people, and they were comparing them to the miraculous gifts, like healing, prophecy, miracles, tongues, and what many in the body of Christ do today, and this is what was going on in verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. See, those who had the so-called cooler spiritual gifts were saying to those that were less cool, we don't need you. Why in the world, as we read in verse 21, why in the world would would the eye say to the hand, You're pointless. I have no need of you. The eye cannot accomplish anywhere near its potential without the hand. The eye can gaze upon priceless works of art or look out over breathtaking acts of God's creation or look at another person without the hand. It can do that. But the eye cannot turn the pages of a book or turn a recipe into a delicious meal, or comfort or hug the person it's looking at without the hand. In other words, the eye would not be able to take what it's seeing and do anything with it, or about it, or for it, or change any kind of circumstances it's seeing without the hand. The eye is only part of the equation for the body to function. Similarly, the head, or anything having to do with the head, such as brain activity, eyesight, hearing, tasting, or smelling, can't say to the feet, you're pointless and unnecessary. I have no need for you. Without the feet, the head couldn't go anywhere. Now, 
Today, many medical advancements have been made to help those who can't walk or walk well get around different places, and many legal and social advancements have been made to assist those who can't walk or walk well and provide many sensitive provisions for them to have as close to the same kind of quality of life as those who can walk have. But in Paul's day, if you couldn't walk, you had two options. That was it. Two options. You either lay on a mat by a highly public place and ask others for money to take care of your earthly needs, or you get healed by Jesus or one of the apostles. That was it. You had two options. So this illustration that Paul uses here about the feet was a lot more poignant than it might be today. If a person wanted to go to the seaside to smell the briny air and feel the sea breeze and sun on their face, or if a person wanted to go out to eat a delicious meal prepared by a renowned cook, or if a person wanted to gaze at at a breathtaking mountain range, they needed feet to get there. If the function of the feet wasn't there, the person had to endure laying in the same place, doing the same thing, and seeing and smelling the same things day after day after day for their entire lives. So when Jesus or the apostles told someone who couldn't walk to get up and walk, and they did, not only were they healing them physically, but they were healing them in every other way too. They were giving these people freedom. They were giving these people wholeness. They were giving them their lives. Likewise, the church cannot move forward and go anywhere and be whole if there are some looking down on others and those others' potential for the church's growth. It's quite on the contrary, Paul says next that any members of Christ's body are less valuable in their function than others. It's quite the opposite. So we looked at the ridiculous view, and now we're looking at the radical truth. What Paul says next is a radical truth. Just as science is proving that the human body organs once thought to be unnecessary anymore are among the most important, especially to the immune system, those who were once looked down upon in the church and considered unnecessary are actually among the most important to the body. That goes against everything we naturally think in our flesh as sinful human beings, isn't it? Verses 22 through the beginning part of verse 24. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. In thinking in terms of the human body again, I don't want to be crass, But this is probably what Paul is getting at here. There are body parts that we deem less honorable or presentable by covering up with clothes. But they're among the most important ones in the body. For instance, how would we eliminate waste and toxins from our bodies or conceive and give birth to children or grow and strengthen marriages without them? They're among the most important to the human body. Unfortunately, when these parts don't work properly, it causes much heartache. 
It causes emotional trauma. And other means have to be pursued in order to accomplish what is needed and wanted. And so what Paul is getting at here is the, is the importance of every single part of the body, even those we cover up. His point is that there are members of the body that are covered up and do things behind the scenes which no other person knows about. And there are members of the body that are always seen that everyone knows what they're doing. And if you think about the church, and this is ultimately what Paul is getting at here, it's the exact same thing. There are jobs and functions in the body of Christ that are front and center. Everyone knows about them. Everyone can see them. And very often, these are the jobs and functions that are the most praised by fellow church members. You can think of these quite easily. Those who are teaching Sunday school classes, or running children's ministries, or playing music, or preaching. And these are very often the ones that get the most human praise, because they're the most visible. But that in no way negates the crucialness of those functions and jobs that no one sees or no one knows about or no one even thinks about. There are many who work behind the scenes around our church-owned facilities taking care of cleaning or landscaping or removing snow or salting sidewalks, stairs, and ramps. There are many who make minor and even major repairs to our facilities. And you don't know about it. You don't even think about it. There are many who sacrifice their time and resources to be good stewards of the properties that God has given and entrusted to us. And most of us don't even think about everything that needs to be done and taken care of, much less doing it. But these are among the most important functions and jobs in the body of Christ. There are many who serve in our different ministries, those who serve in our weekly children's and youth ministries and give up their Friday night once a month to staff and participate in our kids' night out ministry and tirelessly serve in our food pantry ministry, making sure that those who are helped by it feel loved and respected and taken care of. The elder, deacon, finance, and women's boards deal with tough situations and have to make very difficult decisions. Oversee and organize church events and ministries. Make sure we're wise with our finances and do everything in the lawful way. Administratively keep everything in order and take care of material, spiritual, and physical needs in our congregation. And most of us don't even think about these things behind the scenes. And there are many who come alongside of fellow church members who are hurting. Or they serve fellow church members by helping them out. Or they provide meals for them. Or they financially help them. But no one knows that they're helping and coming alongside of who they are or what they're doing. Nobody even thinks about it. And there are many who encourage others in the congregation, whether through checking in with them or writing notes to them, or showing them how important they are to the rest of the body. Behind the scenes things that nobody even thinks about, but they're crucially important to the body of Christ. They're among the most important. 
all of these functions are not usually visible or known by most in the congregation, but they're vital to our church's body's health, needs, and growth. And hopefully, as I was going through all of those, my, uh, another one of my ulterior motives was this. Hopefully, if you haven't figured out what your Jesus-given mission is yet, or how you're spiritually gifted yet, you now have some ideas to pursue. You might have thought, I never thought about that before. These are the functions and jobs that are covered up, so to speak. They're behind the scenes, but are vital and crucial to caring for and growing the church. This is the way that God composed the church. The second part of verse 24 and then verse 25. But God has so composed the body. See that? God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Since God is the one who composes the body of Christ or the church in His infinite wisdom, He decides who will play what role and who will function in the best way He decides. Who does not have that right? Us. None of us have that right. If we know what Jesus wants us to be doing, or if we don't know what Jesus wants us to be doing, but we're content to stay there, that's not up to us. You're not listening to God. If you do know what Jesus wants you to do, and you do know how the Holy Spirit has gifted you to do it, but you're not doing it, that's not up to you. That's not listening to God. We read here that it's God who composes the body. It's up to Him. We don't have any right to just be content in our lack of knowledge of who, we, who God has made us to be or how He's gifted us or what mission He's given to us. We can't stay there. We have no right to stay there. Nor do we have the right to say, well, even if I know what it is, I'm, I'm not, still not going to do it. We don't have that right either. Because God is the one who gave us that mission. God is the one who gifted us. He expected us to use that and to do it. And he's the one who created the church. And he's the one who composes the body and puts everybody where he wants us to go. So, do you have any right to do with that anything that you think you want to do with it? No. Do you have any right to sweep it under the rug or ignore it or neglect it? No. We have to follow and listen what God has given us to do. Like we talked about last week, that has absolutely nothing. What he decides is our mission and how he has gifted us has nothing to do with earthly status, which is a beautiful thing. It has nothing to do with the way the world sees us and it has nothing to do with the way we see ourselves. Like we talked about last week, God shows no partiality. God shows no favoritism based on who we are or our past or our socioeconomic status, or our race, or our ethnicity, or culture, or language spoken. You know what those are? In fact, those are strengths in God's eyes. All of those things are strengths in God's eyes to use the way He deems best. They all bring different 
and unique and entirely beneficial views, understandings, skill sets, and gifts that our church needs to grow. We need you. We need each and every one of you. That's why I'm emphasizing this so much. God did this, as Paul says in verse 25, so that there would be no division in the church. None whatsoever. It has nothing to do with anything the world labels us as. Only what God deems best. There would be no feelings of inferiority or superiority in value and worth. There would be no discrimination based on that. And there would be no one left out. In fact, God determines who would be best for each function, no matter anything else about them. And this levels everything out. We're all on the same level. Any standard the world uses to judge and categorize and demean or elevate is completely tossed out the window, and thank God for that. That is not how God sees things, and that is not how God works. And as each member is equal in value, each serving their different purpose, and each functioning together as one, what each member experiences is therefore experienced by the whole rest of the body. Verse 26, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. When a finger is smashed by a hammer, the finger is not the only one in the body experiencing that excruciating pain, is it? The heart doesn't say, well, stinks to be him. No, the nervous system is sending out a signal of what just happened to the brain, which interprets that signal as pain, and sends that signal out to the rest of the voluntary and involuntary functions, right? The endocrine system starts secreting adrenaline, which dramatically increases the heart rate and the breathing rate. That, that adrenaline surge is felt by what? The whole body, isn't it? And it tells all the other members in the body that something is wrong. This whole time, the brain is thinking about what needs to happen. That the body should get itself to the clinic or the ER. Once that decision is made, nerve signals are sent to the limbs, you better start moving. Likewise, if something joyful happens, that is interpreted by the brain as joyful and happy. In a similar way, the endocrine system responds and starts secreting that hormone that makes you feel good, which tells the rest of the body that something good happened. The lips will smile, the throat and, and, and face will laugh, and if you're not part of a conservative denomination, what else will happen? You'll start dancing. Your limbs will dance. In both ways, and in many other ways, sadness fear, depression, tasting something absolutely delicious, tasting something absolutely disgusting, smelling something good or smelling something horrible. The whole body responds to that experience. Why? Because even though they all have different jobs and functions and comprise whole different systems, they all are one. They are all one together and they all work together as one. 
God created the church, and this is what I spoke about at the very beginning of this message. The same God who created the human body is the same God who created the church. It's the exact same way with the church. How God created the church to be. Not only do we all work together as one, but we all must experience everything together as one. Again, why? Because like we talked about last week, all three members of the Trinity are one, commune and fellowship perfectly, and therefore experience everything together as one. And who are we as humans made in the image of? That triune God. Like I mentioned last week, that was part of our pre-sin state in the Garden of Eden. Eden. That is how God created us to be. As the spiritual gifts are a foretaste and a glimpse of New Jerusalem or heaven, God created the church for believers in Jesus to be a foretaste and a glimpse of the perfect unity we will all experience in New Jerusalem. There will be no worldly categories. There will be no pain that will have anything to do with that. And as such, there must not be in God's church. We all must be one. So, brothers and sisters, let us be one. Herbert was the only one who responded to that. So, brothers and sisters, let us be one. All right, a lot better. If we don't know what our individual Jesus-given mission is yet, if we don't know what that is, if you've never even thought about it, if you don't know what your Holy Spirit-given spiritual gifts are, if you've never thought about it, to empower and equip you to fulfill that mission, with God's help, figure it out. For... God's sake and for the rest of our sake figure it out because we need you we need you to figure it out and we need you to do it let us work as one and let us experience as one let us hurt as one and let us rejoice as one in other words let us be let us exist as one And as we live and be and do that, just as the human body was created to heal and grow, our body of Christ will heal and grow. And we will exist and we will move forward as one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this powerful and encouraging passage of Scripture. We thank you for what we continued last week in this series on Christ's body. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't see themselves as a part of our body, that they would start doing that. That they would start seeing themselves as a part of this body of Christ. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who hasn't really thought about what mission you've given to them, or they know what it is, but they're just not doing it, or if they don't know what the the spiritual gifts are that you've given to them, or they do, but they're just not doing anything with them, Lord, I pray that you would light a fire under them. I pray that you would would create a, a, a disconcertment in them. 
a, a disconcerting feeling in them, a, a, a churning within them, that they would not be able to rest until they spent time with you, maybe talked it over with, an, with a believing friend and figured it out and then did something about it. Because, Lord, we cannot grow, we cannot function without each and every member being one, doing what you have given us to do. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't see themselves as a part of the body, that isn't experiencing things with the body, I pray that they would plug themselves into the body, that they would make a change and start doing that. Lord, that we may all grow closer together as one, experiencing everything together as one, and each finding our purpose and our function and our role and our job together as one. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.